1: Trigger warning. This podcast includes conscious discussion around topics of how athletes support their training using diet programs. I acknowledge that this content may be difficult. I also encourage you to care for your safety and well being. If you need help with an eating disorder, we have listed some supportive organizations on the show notes. Hi, I'm Mika Simmons and welcome to the Happy Vagina podcast. Coming up, we have Nicola Adams OBE who shares with us all how she visualised her way into becoming Great Britain's greatest boxer and why today her deepest burning desire is that all women feel invincible. But before we go there, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our amazing sponsors today, Hertility Health. Worried about your hormones? Get the support you deserve with Hertility Health. Hertility Health provide at-home diagnostic hormone and fertility tests. Complete their online health assessment and collect a small blood sample. You'll then receive a report with insights into your egg count, ovulation, and any fertility red flags. If needed, they have experts in fertility, gynecology, PCOS, and endometriosis available to discuss your results in more detail. So head straight over to www.fertilityhealth.com and use the code healthyvagina to receive £15 off. That's www.hertilityhealth.com Get the support you deserve with Hertility Health. Welcome to The Happy Vagina, a podcast dedicated to celebrating pioneers in the female space, those who've made a difference in women's health, equality, and relationships. Each week, we chat to an inspiring human as they explore the experiences that completely change their outlook, choosing not only to educate, but also inspire and entertain. And today on this very special live recording of the Happy Vagina podcast at Albright in London, we are joined by LGBTQ activist, pioneering female athlete, Olympian and Great Britain's most successful boxer, the lioness herself, Nicola Adams. OB. Nicola, welcome to the Happy Vagina podcast. Thank you. And just to be really clear, that's not the greatest female boxer. That is Great Britain's Most successful boxer all round. That's right, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) We bow down to you, Nicola. It's an absolutely amazing achievement. And we are thrilled to have you here today. I think one of the things that I often notice when athletes come through, so like Emma Redekanu at the moment, you hear about her childhood that she did a lot of different sports. She was kind of, you know, she was a, a talented sports child yeah and she tried out different things but you knew you wanted to box from a really young age didn't you how old were you I was 12 when I first started
2: boxing um and it actually happened all by accident my mum couldn't get a babysitter one night for me and my brother and she took us both down to an after-school boxing class that they had on at the same time and I just absolutely loved it I'd seen like reruns of Muhammad Ali and Sugar Ray Leonard and I was like I was like envisioning, like to myself that oh wow, this must have been what it was like for for them when they first went to the gym and um, they started boxing. It was yeah, I just I just loved it.
1: But it is a it's an unusual calling for a young woman.
2: I yeah, think. yeah.
1: Do you kind of remember what it was? What did it make you feel like when you were there? What was the kind of like emotional response that you had to it? Was it that I can do that, or was it that somehow or other it would give you some kind of like you know, power, not, not egotistical power, but somehow it would make you feel more confident.
2: Yeah. It made me feel more confident, um, stronger. I had a lot of friends there as well. It was like, it was like an extended family and that's what it felt like every time I was, I was there. Mm. Um, I'd see my coaches and the other boxers, sometimes more than my family um once i got onto the international stage anyway because we'd live and train together um monday to friday every week so mm. it was yeah it was like a like a family and it was just it was just nice having i guess that kind of community where you all you all have this same love and passion mm.
1: Mm. and we are going to come a bit later to the fact that that wasn't necessarily something that you were getting from home but there was a man in the trailer that we all just saw who said she said she wanted to be world champion and I didn't tell her she couldn't and it's a really interesting thing because he didn't say yes you can do it but he also didn't say you can't do it and I think for young people often they are told they can't do it what what did he mean to you as a coach, that kind of him not holding you back or, or trying to convince you that you should do something else?
2: Yeah. It meant a lot to me because the first day when the first day I actually started boxing, he got everybody around the ring. Cause I I was the only girl in the, in the gym at the time. And, um, he said to everybody, I've got one rule. You all listen to me and we're all boxers. And at the time I just thought, okay, cool. He's the coach, you know? flexing his muscles (laughs) but um now when I when I look back now I'm older um I understand why why he said that because women didn't box I was the only girl in the in the gym so he never treated me any differently to any of of the other boxers if they did 10 press ups. I had to do 10 press ups. If they went for a mile run, I I had to go run as well. So, but I, I liked that because it it just it just made me feel a lot more included. Mm. You know, I never felt separate from the from the boys in any way. And um, we all did exactly the same. Mm.
1: And that is one of the things that you mentioned in the documentary, Lioness. You say that you were one of the only black people in your community and you had some bullying because of that. So being part of must have. Meant a lot to you at that time, I know that you've said that you actively you know try not to pigeonhole yourself by your not so much by your gender but by the color of your skin or by the fact you're gay, but I think it must have had an impact on your career. How was it for you? I think it was more
2: in boxing it was it was literally way more offensive being female than anything else I could have been because it was such a male-dominated sport. I was told so many, so many different, different comments, you know, women belong in the kitchen. Why don't you choose a different sport? You're too pretty to box. All those kinds of, kinds of comments. And some of the girls were told that they weren't allowed to, to train at the gyms. They went to gym after gym after gym, didn't accept female boxers. Um, It was just a, a real, real hard struggle. And as a, as a kid, you know, I was 12, 12 years old. So I didn't really understand at first that women didn't even box. I just assumed that women, you know, did whatever they wanted to do. That's what you think you can do. You can be anything in the world. You can go, you know, and be an astronaut, you know, and there's nobody gonna, that's going to say no to you. And because I, I guess I went in there with that mindset when I was, when I was younger, I didn't understand as, I, I think if I'd have been a lot older going into boxing, then I'd have understood a bit more why there was so much Mm Pushback, but going in there so young, I just didn't. I I just couldn't get my my head around why women weren't allowed to box. It wasn't. It wasn't that we were trying to take over the men's boxing. You know, we wanted to box against other women, and we just didn't see why we weren't allowed to do so. Mm
1: -hmm. And there's a moment as well where I think it's when you won Olympic gold and you were fighting Can Can, and you talk about being frightened and starting to think I can't do it and that you were so determined to win I don't know if this is like a really obvious question but like what what would it have meant if you'd have lost like what was the thing I I I know that I mean I think one of the things that we're talking about as well is that not so much today but back then ambitious women were not Actually, welcomed. It wasn't something that women were allowed to be ambitious, you know, that time ago. But I just wonder what that kind of nugget was for you that was like, I can't lose this. What would it have it meant if you'd have lost? Oh, man, I don't even know what I'd have done if I'd have lost. <laughs>
2: <laughs> because um 10 weeks before the Olympic Games, she actually beat me in the world championships. And then I went on to beat her in the finals of the Olympic Games. But I literally spent the the next 10 weeks focusing on how I was gonna beat Ren Kan. I got all the all the guys that I used to spar with, I, I got them to imitate her style. We changed the the game plan of the tactics that we were gonna do. I pretty much adapted my style just to just to beat her, and I, I only wanted to I only wanted to beat her as well because I've beaten everybody else there five or six times already. I wasn't I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried. At all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like first gear, that's it. <laughs> it's cool, and then, and it, it, I just wanted I guess I just wanted to be able to say that I'd beaten the best, you know that nobody else beat her in the olympics and then i went on to beat somebody else i've beaten before Mm. i wanted to be able to say that you know i am the best in the the best in the world and i've beaten the best in the world
1: Mm -hmm. and you have (laughs) yeah we can clap again absolutely so until i think 1994 amateur female boxing was banned in the UK and you were kind of around when they were fighting for that to be overcome. And again, in the documentary, one of the things, there's this really beautiful moment where you're almost laughing at one of the reasons they gave. So one of the reasons that they said that women shouldn't box is because we have periods. Because a woman has a menstrual cycle, (laughs) it, it means that a woman is not grounded, sort of like is it that we're over-emotional? Is that what the thing was? That- um, the exact words were we were too unstable. Unstable,
2: that was <laughs> the one,
1: unstable.
2: And we might pass out walking up the steps to
1: the ring.
0: <gasps>
1: <laughs> I mean, and that, that smile that you've got on your face right now <laughs> is the smile that you've got in the documentary, but I kind of imagined that it wasn't funny at the time. Yeah, we were just like, I, I was just... I was just in shock. I yeah. was just like, really? Yeah. I didn't believe it was real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also because the uterus, since doing the happy vagina I've discovered, is actually the largest and therefore the strongest muscle in the body and can birth a child. So it's kind of like, you yeah. know, women are incredibly <laughs> strong. Also, I just learned, which is fascinating, we talk about being hormonal on our period. We're actually not, there's no hormones left. Once the blood comes, you're no longer hormonal. You're only hormonal in the tiny kind of three days leading up to it. But I do want to talk about that a little bit, a bit later on. Oh, um, well, I've got another fun fact
2: as well. Yes, go. When um, <laughs> Because women's long distance running used to be banned as well. And they said um, that we couldn't do that because if we ran that far, our insides would fall out. So, uh, <laughs> and that wasn't that long ago, neither. So.
1: <laughs> Seriously, like just yeah. like... Sorry, just the, uh, when during during a period or just in general. In general, I mean, what's really interesting about this is that obviously in the Victorian period, the doctors did believe that our wombs wandered around our body and bumped on different visceral organs trying to get its way back home. And this is no joke, Nicola. Honestly, they used to hold candles underneath the vagina canal because they believed that the womb was attracted to nice scents, and that if they did that, the womb would come back down into place where it belong. So considering the patriarchal medical system seemed to believe that our gynecological reproductive area was not very stable. I'm not surprised they thought it might fall out because if it wanders around, why not just pop out? I mean, where's it going to go? Why just go and I might just share mine with someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's outrageous. Um, And I'm thrilled that the sport that you are so excellent at got to have it's heyday, and you've got to kind of lead the charge in that. Coming back to your, you know, your beginnings, two days ago, Wednesday, the 25th of November, was the beginning of 16 days of activism against violence against women and girls, against all genders, actually. And so it's a real honor to have you here today for that reason, because you've channelled a unstable start in your background into something really, really amazing. I think childhood trauma can. Make us resilient in the wrong ways sometimes, and I just wondered if that resonates with you at all. You know sometimes I think when we have shocks or abuse physical or mental as a child, we can put a mask on and and freeze. Do you remember feeling like that yeah
2: at at times i at times I did. I just went you know completely completely blank and when I think back, it could have been really easy to have gone down the wrong path or even being an abuser myself. You know, it's, it's, um, it's one of, one of those things, I guess you, you either go one way or the other. I was lucky enough that I was able to receive trauma, trauma therapy and be able to work through things and to make sure that, you know, I'm a whole rounded person. And, uh, and I guess that that's, that's helped me helped me a lot. I think. I think just being able to put the past in the in the past and just like leave it there and be able to move on and and push forward.
1: Mm-hmm. There's still so much work to do in the space of domestic violence and all violence against against women and girls. But um, back then there was not any support. And in the documentary, again, you know, one of your I think it's the same coach who also said yeah, he never yeah. told you you couldn't do anything. I love him. I just think that was amazing. But he says that he could tell if you were, if you'd had a hard time because you you were very bright and bubbly as we see you here today. And you'd come in with your head down. I just, they knew something was going on. Did anyone actually reach out and try and help you? Or was it just like separate? It was just kind of separate. It's like
2: my, my coach knew kind of what was going on. Um, but he didn't want to, you know, intervene too much. But I think times have definitely changed a lot. Mm. Like, there's a lot more help at, at schools, and mm. there's a lot more people to talk to mm. now. Whereas back then, the you know there was mm. there wasn't anything really, and the value of talking.
1: Yeah, you've just talked about having trauma. Yeah, yeah You it's, you, it's you had specific trauma support in therapy, but I think everyone now understands that sharing is actually a really important way to get over any ptsd and to actually move through things i think that being an athlete is something that everyone in this room knows little about really and i and i would love you to share some of the positive skills that you might have learned as an athlete to become a resilient human being like what are your what were the things that you learned through being a young boxer yeah um
2: it gave me confidence taught me how to goal set. So I'm, even, even now, even though I'm, I'm not using it for like a boxing career, even just my day-to-day life, you know, visualization, goal setting, it's, it's taught me how to, how to achieve things that I want to achieve, even if it's not possible. Because when I was in my boxing career, women's, women's boxing was only an Olympic sport in 2012. So to go from having a career that I really wanted to pursue and it not being an Olympic sport and then me and me saying, no, I am going to make it an Olympic sport and I am going to win a gold medal. It just gives me that belief that whatever I put my mind to now, I know it's possible. Like impossible is nothing.
1: Mm-hmm. 2012 was a good year. is when we hosted the Olympics. Yeah, and one of yeah. the things that happened as far as I remember is that the government poured a whole lot of money into our Olympic teams. I think so we didn't leave without any medals, (laughs) which is probably quite a wise choice. But I think that they kind of like woke up a bit because before that, we didn't really win that much. Do you remember seeing a significant difference in funding for you around that time as you were moving into the home hosted Olympics?
2: Yeah, it was, um, it was huge. I think that was one of the most medals that we'd ever, ever received. Um, Mm, It was was. unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I, I guess that just showed, you know, with a bit of funding, how much we can achieve. We were up there with the likes of China, the USA that absolutely received everything, you know, they get, I've been to, I've been to their, their training camps and their facilities. And it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, if you were a kid, it's like walking into Toys R Us or something It is insane. <laughs> it, they have everything, everything you could think of the, the gyms, the setups, unbelievable. And what the, the funding boosted for us was just put us on a, a level playing field. And even though we've got a, a smaller pool of people to work from, it just shows with the right facilities. You, you can achieve so much mm,
1: and has that money continued to be put into all sports or has it kind of like ended up going back to the most popular sports
2: it goes into it actually goes into all sports so how it works is it depends on how many medals you get to how much funding you get so if you're a sport that's achieving loads of medals then you get loads of loads of funding Right? okay and then how it works for the athletes um Grade A funding is if you win a gold medal in the world championships or you medal in the Olympics and then it goes down like B, C, D, E.
1: Hmm. So that's
2: how, so everybody gets a chance to work their their way up to the highest amount of funding.
1: Yeah, except for the, if you're not winning, then you get less funding and then you can't kind of like get through the glass ceiling to win the medals. But I understand why it works that way. We're going to take a very quick ad break, and before we do, I wanted to let you know that this podcast was produced in association with Albright, the leading career network for women. Got a mission, a five-year plan, or an outrageous dream? Albright will have your back. They had mine. Visit www.albrightcollective.com to join their free community today or download the Albright app available in the App Store. Albright, a global sisterhood
0: for ambitious women.
2: To get started, visit
0: plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Coming back to these kind of tools that you just, you know, you talk about visualization as though it's a, a normal thing, which it is for you. <laughs> but it would have been quite different to what, you know, you grew up on a on an estate. Um, so you were being given access to things that I suppose are commonly seen, like, you know, the whole, if they sit within the wellness industry camp, you know, that is often seen as an industry that's only really accessible for people who come from a more middle-class background. Do you remember when you started using those techniques, feeling a like, this is so new to me? Like, did it, did it feel like something or had you already kind of transitioned into thinking like that?
2: Well, you see the things that they teach you with the sports psychologists, things like visualization and, um, arranging your, your programs and, yep. um, the Discipline. lead up. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I was that. actually, I was actually shocked that, um, when they were talking about visualization, because it was something that I already, I already used to do, you know, I used to, um, visualize myself winning medals and being the the best in the world. So I was like, oh wow. Like I'm I'm already, I'm already doing it. It's yeah.
1: fine. I don't need you. <laughs> yeah. Top psychologist in the world. Let
2: me teach you a few things. <laughs> but I think I think for me the the main thing that they that they taught me was how to schedule things out. Because I have ADHD, mm. everything could be like a bit chaotic. Yeah. I'd be like, I'd get to a tournament sometimes. And I'm more bothered about seeing what's going on than actually what I'm supposed to be doing yeah. <laughs> going out there and, and boxing. Really identifying. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was good. So then they gave me like a um, a structure. So what I do a day before, what I do right down to the hours hour before, right mm. down to 15 minutes before. We had it tailored to an absolute fine tea. So we found that if I got to the competition part yeah. of the stage more than more than an hour before I was supposed to. Go and compete, that'd be it, I'd be off everywhere <laughs> seeing what was going on, and nobody'd be able to find me.
1: <laughs> so they they had to manage you so, actually moment to moment. Before. Yeah. So are literally. they free? Because I, I think so often, <laughs> yeah. they? they come and live with me in my like one-bedroom flat, because I all of them. But but the the visualization that you used to do as a child, I I think it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because it's also fantasy. And I think that when you've had I had childhood trauma and I had. You know, I think it's really normal actually to fantasize about the person on the poster on the wall, you know, to think about as you're developing from being someone without adult thinking, without rational thinking. But I think when you want to be outside of your environment, it can push you even stronger. However, Nicola, when I used to swim for my school, I did imagine being someone coming along and saying, you're the one you're the one that's going to be, you know, the Olympic, and that did not happen. So I just, <laughs> I just want to make the point that it didn't just happen because you visualised it. <laughs> you're, like, really, 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 really talented, and I'm just quite a good swimmer. <laughs> Are there any um, things that happened in your training looking back or at the time that you felt were unhealthy tools to, to be the best that you could be?
2: Yeah, I think because it's a, a weight-controlled spot, mm. they they were very strict on what you were allowed to weigh all the time. So whatever weight division you were in, you had to be within 5% of your weight. Mm. So I used to box at 51 kilos. I think it's about eight, eight stone. Mm. Um, and I was never allowed to be more than 53.5 kilos at any time. So what would, what would normally happen, um, with all, all the boxes was you get to the end of camp on the Friday, everybody pigs out over the weekend you step on the scales, you check your weight. You're like, oh, crap, I've got, to, <laughs> I've got to get my weight off by Monday. You go running to try and get your weight back down for the Monday because the way you win on a Monday um, afternoon when you get into camp to see whether you're at the at the right weight and then they weigh you every every morning while you're there after that. So you're always in this battle of I want to eat this, but then I've got to try and make weight again. I think that was the biggest the biggest battle, I think.
1: So, just to be super clear, you boxed as an as an amateur, and then you became a professional boxer. And were you boxing at the same weight for both of those careers? Yeah, yeah. And what would you say your natural weight is? I'd say light. Like I don't really know what that means. I'm slightly nervous to say it because I think that that whole area is slightly complicated. But what would you would you say you should have been walking? I'd say sixty kilos. Okay. Yeah.
2: Okay. Cause I'm about I'm about that now. So Okay. And you look great. Thank
1: you. Yeah. <laughs> you look amazing. Yes. I what age did you start to need to restrict your food? Oh, the whole way whole
2: way through through my career, I think, because it is a weight controlled sport. As soon as as soon as you go to the competition, um, for the first the first bout, you have to weigh in. And from there I had it down to a to a T. So I know by the time I've rehydrated and eaten before the competition, I'd be about 50, 52 and a half kilos when I step in the ring. I'd lose a kilo in sweat when I fought. And then I'd have to skip off 0.5 no sorry i'd be 53 when i step into the ring mm-hmm. i'd lose a kilo in the ring which would put me to 52 i'd skip for 20 minutes which would put me to 51.5 i wouldn't eat anything or drink anything for the rest of the day i'd wake up in the morning and be bang on 51 kilos because i'd lose 0.5 in my sleep so it's it's very <laughs> it's very and what intense.
1: were you allowed to eat was it a, i mean were you so in the weekends when you arrived at camp I mean that's just a wild thing so they basically let you kind of binge over the weekend or are you doing it secretly like taking things under the duvet cover (laughs) (laughs) I used to do that as a child my dad used to bring big bags of crisps home and they'd all be gone but I don't know where they went dad I've got no uh, idea some of the the lads
2: used to really really struggle and um, I used to feel really sorry for them because the ones that really did struggle with the weight... Um, when you say struggle, do yeah. you mean keeping it down? Yeah, okay. yeah. They'd be like, they'd weigh them maybe five or six times a day to make sure that they weren't pigging out through the day or eating anything that they shouldn't. Sometimes they'd be maybe on a piece of fruit and half a glass of milk every a day. Every meal. That's um, all. That's all they'd, they'd be able to eat. So they'd get the the carbs from the fruit and then the protein from the milk. There's a lot that... Like everybody loves the physique of an athlete, but I know if I want to look like that again, I have to be so unhealthy to get there.
1: Do you think it is kind of borderline anorexia? What, yeah, what you all put yourselves yeah, through? Yeah. Did you lose your periods during it? No, no. no so, because I think that's one of the
2: a lot of a lot of the girls do though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned to me when we had a chat before that they offered you to freeze your eggs. Yeah. Is that something that they offer for, you might not know the answer to this question, but I wondered if it's something they offer to all female athletes who are, to every female athlete or to all female athletes who are having to restrict what they eat? Like I'm interested, you know. I don't know. I've got oh, I no don't idea. know.
2: I don't know. Actually,
1: it's um, just something not that you sure. experienced. Yeah.
2: Um, we we get offered to to freeze our eggs just so if you I don't know you want to you know go on in competition into your late thirties you don't have to think oh my god you know my my egg to- um, clock is ticking or whatever mm. <laughs> I could just put them on ice. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, leave I, them there. yeah and what an amazing thing I think I mentioned to you that we had Dr. Zoe Williams on the podcast two weeks ago and she was saying that she doesn't think we're going to have sex to procreate in the future I had a mini heart attack because before she finished <laughs> she was actually saying she said we're not going to have sex and I went oh. but she was but I didn't let her finish but she was actually saying that that she thought that you know in the future that women at 20 will freeze their eggs that that will be the future for us and I you know I I'm jealous of you that you 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 got the opportunity to do that and that someone kind of offered that to you and I think it's a really fantastic thing to be offering young women you feel safe right
2: yeah because I thought I thought that was something that was just offered to to everybody anyway you know that if you want to pursue a career or whatever you want to do in life that you can just you know go get your, get your eggs frozen and yeah. don't have to worry about, um, having babies so soon, because I think that's, that's a, a big pressure that's always put on to, to women to, um, have kids and, you know, mm. make sure they make sure they do this over their careers. And
0: mm.
2: so, uh, yeah, I think it's, um, definitely something that needs work on, I think. Gives
1: you choice, doesn't it? Yeah. Gives yeah. you choice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then you get to not go through years of people asking you if you're going to have kids. You can just shut it down. (laughs) That conversation is over. They're in the freezer. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're fine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just coming back to sort of food and diet. Um, You know, you've stopped boxing professionally. How is it for you now trying to be a normal, you know, human like us with without that kind of regime around you?
2: It was really weird at first. Mm. Like there was nobody telling me what to do anymore. Um, I'd be even, even when I'd, I'd go to the fridge and I'd open the fridge and I'd like catch myself thinking twice about what I was going to eat and I was like oh yeah it doesn't matter anymore I can eat what I I want um even in the in the gym um working out and I'd be like killing myself on the treadmill I'm like hang on a minute (laughs) don't have to work that hard anymore I'm like turning the treadmill down just I think it was just little little things like that and just being able to do things with my friends and my my family was really nice as well because I've had to sacrifice weddings, christenings, birthdays um, mm. for, for my sport. And, and now I'm able to go to all these functions and stuff. And it's it's really it's really cool, but it was a big adjustment.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you found it difficult to keep your weight at a stage in a way that you're comfortable with it? Because I think that, so friends of mine that, for example, were ballerinas, when they stopped being a ballerina, they just couldn't actually, the the restricting and what that does to their system means that they found that having a normal diet actually has a greater impact on them than it would do on someone else. Yeah, that was
2: um, that was really, really difficult in the beginning because I'd I didn't know how much to eat because I was used to having a nutritionist um, telling me what I was supposed to eat and Mm. when I was supposed to eat, how much I was supposed to eat. And then to go from that to nobody telling me anything mm. it was uh, it was a struggle at first my, so did you my just weight eat was going everything and, oh yeah you just everything? ate everything everything like everything I, I can I mean I can eat for like days like full pizza large pizza to myself easy no problem uh, it, like Do you like food <laughs> you're good <laughs> yeah, at food I'm a
1: proper foodie I'm good at food too <laughs> and sleep <laughs> are you good at sleep yeah yes <laughs> But you don't miss it. You don't miss needing to be so controlling. Do you feel mentally happier today? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. You do.
2: It was it used to be so hard when um whenever we used to go out to restaurants like I either couldn't eat what everybody was eating or I'd be sat there with a bowl of salad and everybody's you know there eating burgers, steaks mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah, it wasn't it wasn't nice. So I don't that's one of the biggest things that I don't miss, I think.
1: But when you say it's hard, did it leave you feeling depressed or were you still like so focused on what your goal was that actually it was difficult, but you knew what you were doing?
2: It just used to make me like really hungry. like, <laughs> I mean, like literally just... Not a bad state for a boxer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just used to i used, i used to just think to myself like I can't wait to weigh in because then I can eat something like that was that was the I think mean, that's the mindset of every 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 boxer. It's like you just can't wait to weigh in, then you can actually you can just eat food, um, and then up until then you are just really really grumpy and tired all the time because you're not <laughs> <laughs> you're not getting to eat what no, you want to yeah, eat. To be yeah,
1: <laughs> just coming sort of to the the end of your career, your last fight you lost a stone in, in 24 hours. Is that right?
2: Yeah. It takes
1: me about two years. <laughs> like, because then Christmas <laughs> comes and then my birthday comes. And um, I, d- I'm, I know I'm making a joke of it, but I was slightly horrified when I heard that, Nicola, that you'd, that you'd done that. That's, that, that. Is that the most weight that you lost in a yeah. short period of time?
2: Yeah, that was uh, the most weight that I've lost. It was actually a little bit over a, over a stone. I still to this day, don't know how I managed to do it, but I did, but it wasn't, it wasn't safe. I shouldn't have lost that. Normally I'd lose 10 pounds is easy. Um, in a, in a night that's, you can, you can function still. It's not too bad. But when I, when I did that, I'd lost width like way too much than what I should have. It feels like the sound that you get when you're underwater and your your ears go like, I don't I don't know how to explain that sound sort of fuzzy. Mm. So, so that's what it feels like when you like you're, submerged. Yeah, yeah. That's what it feels like when you're um when you lose that much weight. Like you can't like it, you're disappearing. Yeah. Because yeah. you
1: were disappearing.
2: Yeah. Like um going onto the scales, my coach had to stand behind me in case I in case I fell over. And they um, still
1: put you in the ring. Yeah, yeah. I say put you. I mean, my next question really is, Nicola, is like, how, was that you? Was that your decision or did you feel under pressure to do it? Um, well, it
2: was a bit of, it was a bit of both. If I didn't do that fight, I would have lost my title. So I didn't want to lose my title. So I said that I, I wanted to fight. But the, I think the the worst thing was when I was supposed to be refueling and rehydrating, I couldn't rehydrate properly or eat properly because, I'd lost that much weight that my organs had started shutting down. My body just wasn't taking anything in properly. So it was, I had to wait for my body to restart, to take food. And even after after the fight, it took me, I'd say, a week and a half before I could actually eat a full meal properly without feeling sick.
1: Because your body thought it was dying. Yeah. So it thought it didn't need the food anymore. Mm. It was shutting down, kind of more than submerging, letting go. Yeah. Did you scare yourself? Yeah,
2: yeah. I was... That did that did scare me. That that did scare me. Um You went I blue, I think. Yeah, yeah. Afterwards. Yeah. Um after the after the fight, I, I threw up. I just couldn't, yeah, I couldn't couldn't move. I was just so exhausted. I mean, I don't even know how I managed to get through 10 rounds um of boxing in the state and how the girl didn't beat me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I do not, know. <laughs> um, she feels the same way. <laughs> but we all know the answer, <laughs> which is that you're amazing. You, you got injured in that fight and decided to stop working as a professional boxer from that fight onwards. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So you had a huge external change that happened. You decided to not, I'm going to say, abuse your body anymore in terms of starving yourself and to join us poor mere mortals down here and have a normal life (laughs) but but also it feels like you know you started to make some changes in terms of intimacy as well you've touched on being able to spend time with friends and family and do things normal things do you remember so you had the physical impact of, of of an injury and what you'd done to your body but do you also remember thinking kind of enough's enough and I want to to be able to love deeper and have more connection
2: yeah that's that's what I was I was thinking actually at the time I was like this is that was one step too far and I didn't want to put my body through any more any more punishment so um I decided to retire and Ella was happy Ella um actually helped convince me to (laughs) to retire she didn't want me to to go through that again she was really, really, really scared at the time, so yeah, I decided to retire and was, and now i'm able to spend a lot more time with my friends
1: and my family and um, work on my my other careers. Was it an easy transition because I'd imagine being so controlled and controlling of oneself coming into the freedom and allowing people in because you've got all these boundaries, these barriers, not bound, you've got really amazing boundaries, but you have all these barriers that kind of keep everyone away from you. Was it an easy transition or did you find it difficult to let people in? Yeah, I think
2: at first it was it was a little bit difficult because I wasn't, I wasn't used to it. And as time went on, I guess I, it got a little bit easier. I got more more comfortable within myself. It was almost like I found myself again.
0: I know it's
1: really, mm. but that's the only way I can, How, I can explain. It. What did that feel like for you though? Cause I know exactly what you mean. And sometimes I have these moments where I'm like, oh, I've, I've said it quite a lot on this season of the podcast. I feel like I've become me again, the me that I may have lost a few years ago. When do you remember first feeling like that?
2: I think it was over the first, first lockdown because I, I retired in 2019 November 2019. And then I think we went into the lockdown, was it March? Yeah. Around around then. And yeah, it was just spending, being able to spend time at home with Ella and um, and my dog. and, And it was just... And I was like, yeah, this is, this is nice. I could get used to this.
1: <laughs> it's like a forced, I mean, we, we kind of did all go through a bit of a forced intimacy, didn't we? Like whether it was with, I mean, I lived on my own, but I got to know myself better. Or if you're with a partner, you got to know the partner or sometimes you left them, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you and Ella, you, you, you and Ella made it. It's <laughs> still very, very close. Do you feel that this kind of transition into, because one of the other things that you touched in the documentary is that um, it's still quite difficult with your family. You know, I I was having a really difficult time with a member of my family and I read this amazing interview with um, a female singer songwriter. And she was saying that she learned that forgiveness was for her. It was a turning point for me in my life because I realized I was sat on a whole load of resentments about stuff that I had happened when I was younger and that I was still kind of like pivoting around those resentments rather than being a free human being. So do you feel like, just as I said, in, in the documentary, you talk about there's still some stuff going on with your family. Do you feel like you've learned how to forgive? Yeah,
2: definitely. I've, I've learned how to
1: forgive. I think that's
2: why I can be the person that, that I am now. I'm a lot more, a lot more free it's a lot harder work holding on to the past than it is to just let go and and, and move forward that's so beautiful I could cry
1: <laughs> and we've run out of time which I could cry about as well so I've got so many more things that I want to ask you but I do have one more question which is our standard final question of the <laughs> podcast Nicola Adams what makes your vagina happy today <laughs> um other than Ella Hello, uh, <laughs> props to Allah.
2: Ella. <laughs> um, I think just being able to be kind to myself and you know looking looking after myself, be, staying healthy in mind and body, and helping other women to just feel invincible too. I think everybody deserves to to feel invincible at some point mm. um, in the, in the life. Mm. so that's what makes my vagina happy
1: yes (laughs) everybody deserves someone in their life that will not say to them you can't do that who believes in them 100% and you give that back to a lot of young women and to women that don't know you thank you for all you do Nicola Adams thank you This is the Happy Vagina Podcast. I'm Mika Simmons. That was the amazing Nicola Adams OBE. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Don't forget to check out our sponsors for this week's episode, Hertility Health. Hertility Health provide at-home diagnostic hormone and fertility tests. If needed, they have experts in fertility, gynaecology, PCOS, and endometriosis available to discuss your results in more detail. Head over to www.hertilityhealth.com and use the code HEALTHYVAGINA to receive £15 off. Get the support you deserve with Hertility Health.